You're listening to Zone One Digest, the best of Zone One Radio, London's community radio station funded by the Mayor of London himself. I'm Stuart Hardy, the big-mouthed furry man of our offices, and I am proud to present the man himself, Mayor of London, long-time MP, occasional guest on Have I Got News For You, but most importantly, funder of this station, our old mate, the Mayor of London, Bojo himself. Sorry, Boris Johnson. Sorry, I have to show respect to our guests. But first, we have a rather interesting little introduction when our interviewer Marvin Nero popped up on BBC Radio 4's The Today programme the day before he interviewed Boris, which caused some rather interesting conversation with the mayor the next day. Also, I'm overly pleased I got the chance to do my regular speed-up trick to make John Humphreys sound like a chipmunk. Life goal achieved! So let's head over to Marvin Nero on Zone 1 Radio's Important Stuff show community profile for more. What do people do when they leave prison? Well, most of them reoffend and go back again. How do you stop them? That's the big question. The government has come up with a new idea. Um, if they serve less than a year at the moment at any rate, you arrange for them to be met at the prison gates by a mentor who will help them to start a new life. That's a plan that's going to be announced for England and Wales by the Justice Secretary today. Will it work? Well, someone who knows a bit about it because he's done it is uh, Marvin Nero. He was a prisoner. Um, he's with me in the studio. And you served a couple of sentences, shortish sentences, and eventually you had uh, a mentor. What happened? Well, when I, when I got released, well, before, in, before when I was a bit younger, I had a mentor that was working with me, helping me, like, go through the problems that I had myself. I kind of sort of, you know, like, just went back to prison, but he was there, he was working with me, and he kept me going through, and, like, he was there visiting me while I was in prison. So when I got released, I knew that I had this person to come to, come to, to talk to, to tell, like, how I felt. And, and like, he was an ex-prisoner himself? He was an ex-prisoner. He was an ex-prisoner, like, a long time ago. So he's been through the system himself. He knows, he knows what it's like. He knows, like, the, the struggles that we have and that we face. So what does the mentor do in a case like that? I mean, apart from, as you say, talking to you, but in the end, if it's only talking to you, I mean, you're an intelligent person, you, you know what the options are, you've just been explaining that. I mean, he can't actually change anything, can he? No, he, he can't. He, they, they can't change anything, but they can they can give you the skills that um, and and just be that that kind of that rock that you need that someone that's in the background telling you no 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 don't do that go this way go this way look at maybe this avenue look at this um, charity look at this organisation that's gonna that can provide those things for you for now while you're at that stage where you're not sure where you're going. And that really made a difference to you? Yeah, definitely, 100%. And then the following evening... So what's today all about, Boris? Today is about thanking the many, many people who've been involved in organisations that we've been able to support through Team London. And it's about inspiring, telling them that this is, this is just the beginning, you know? The Olympics were a great year for volunteering, but we want to go bigger, we want to go better, and we want them to stick with the project, stick with what they're doing. Uh, Veronica Wadley... <coughs> is here to help uh, and pointed to her recently to, to lead the Team London project and we're very pleased to have uh, proud to have supported Team London at uh, Zone 1 Radio and we hope for, for your support spread the word folks volunteering can be a great way uh, for young people to get skills 
themselves to get themselves confident and and, and ready to get a, get a job and and we're here to help in that way. Okay. Yesterday I was on um, the Radio Four program, um, today program, talking to John Humphrey. Um, first of all, what do you think about that program? Congratulations. I didn't. Um, forgive me. I didn't hear it. I don't normally listen to it because it makes me so angry so quickly, um, and I, I destroy my radio. Uh, I, I've broken several bedside radios. So I reach out and I just smash it. Uh, and so um, I, I, I don't. I sometimes go on it, but I don't listen to it as a rule. Okay. Congratulations. What did you talk about? What was well, it? I was talking about mentoring. Yeah. Oh, and good for you. The hard to reach children and mentoring people coming out of prison. So how would someone get into that scheme? Uh, well, we, we support uh, all sorts of mentoring schemes. We've got our own mentoring scheme, but particularly uh, uh, resettlement brokers uh, for people coming out of young offenders institutions or out of prisons are absolutely crucial if we're going to reduce reoffending. You need people, we need people who will volunteer, and there are many people here in this room, who will volunteer to be the best friend or whatever of somebody coming out so that when they get out of prisons, they don't just get sucked back into the same world, the same media, the same type of people, and that their housing needs are dealt with, that someone helps them uh, with job opportunities, and someone basically looks after them. That's what a resettlement broker is there to do. It's a really worthwhile investment. Are you a resettlement broker yourself? I want to get into it, well, but I need to find out how to get into it. How would someone get inside to that program? Well, join the program. I'm sure we have programs uh, specifically designed to, uh, to... Hang on, this is Rochelle, who actually works in the police. Hang on, what's the answer, Rochelle? Ne- Necro are doing yep. now. We're funding them. So if you, if you look on the we're Necro fan, website... We're fanning, and, we're fanning a Necro program, so if you, if you want to join that one, that might be very well be the one for you. OK, thank um, you But so listen, but, but in the meantime, talk to Veronica. You must talk to Veronica anyway. Yes. Yeah? Will, will you? Yeah, of course we will. Nice to see you. Thank you. Zone, well done, Zone 1 Radio. This is Zone 1 Radio. You're listening to Zone 1 Digest, the show that does not advocate Boris Johnson's anti-today programme politics. I'm Stuart Hardy, and next up is a special little something from founder of Zone 1 Radio, Matthew Layton's London GP show. In this clip, he sadly doesn't feature, thanks to my sneaky editing. Okay, uh, I, I am just kidding. And no, I'm not trying to get the sack, it's just my facetious way. Assured I give Matthew Layton's shoes regular tongue baths after making this show. In this clip, Matthew spoke to longtime friend of the show, Bud Mola, over at the US Grand Prix at the shiny new circuit of the Americas in Austin, Texas, where Bud was just about to drive his pride and joy in one of the support races, Gilles Villeneuve's 1980 championship winning Ferrari. So let's head over to Matthew Layton for more. They make tiny rhinos now, you gotta get one there. This is Someone Radio. Joining me now, the man who is about to drive a Gilles Villeneuve's 1980 championship running Ferrari around a certain circuit in Austin, Texas. Bud Mola. Bud, how are you, sir? doing great great to be back on your show uh, it's lovely to hear your energetic voice down the end of the line um how's texas it's great i mean I, there is so much buzz in this town about formula one i can't believe it uh, when we raced at indianapolis back in the uh, early 2000s you know it was okay but i think uh, it's a sleepy midwest town here in texas everybody is just uh, over the moon that f1 is here so have you been to the circuit yet haven't been there yet. We have our track uh, recognition walk this afternoon. 
where uh, you know all of the drivers get a chance to uh, physically walk around the circuit. It's quite long; it's three point four miles. So, um, you know, I think everyone will probably want to walk it because typically you'll walk along, scrub your shoes in different places to test the grip of the asphalt. Uh, the teams usually walk with their engineers and uh, mechanics to have everyone taking a look at different surface imperfections, the caster and the, or sorry, the camber of the track. So uh, it's it's actually fun for us to go out there and and uh, tool around, and we'll often take a golf cart, and and uh, that way we get a chance to see all the different drivers and all the different teams and wave at them and, and uh, get in a few more laps than they do. Let's talk about your steed. Um, last time you were on the show, uh, you had been bombing one of Rubens Barrichello's old Ferraris uh, around Infineon and, and Laguna Seca, but you're not in that car this time, are you? No, we've uh, we've left the modern cars uh, in Italy, and we've pulled out our old 1980 312T5, which was driven by Gilles Villeneuve, you know, famous Canadian race car driver who unfortunately died too early uh, to uh, you know to win a championship, but. Um, it's a fantastic machine. He drove it in eight races uh, in the middle of the 1980 season. I think at the beginning of the year, they used some modified T4s from the prior year, and then uh, both of these chassis got crashed at Imola. He and Schechter, at the same weekend, uh, put their cars into the wall, and so they pulled out the backup cars and used those through the rest of the season and moved these into the spare roll. So what's it actually like to drive? I spoke to... Um Bruno, just after he'd stepped out of um, a car from a similar uh, era, the FW08, and he said it was a little wilder ride than the current ones. It's very true. You've got an aluminum monocoque, so it flexes a little bit more than these incredibly stiff carbon fiber monocoques today. Um, and that means that, you know, despite the fact that the car being pretty stiff, it does move around a little bit. You've got no driver's aids, no electronics of any type, and frankly, very little that's even adjustable from the cockpit. In that era, everybody was uh, experimenting with different things. A few people had a brake bias adjustment inside. I've got a roll bar adjustment inside, or, uh, and, and that's about it. Uh, so you look in the, the old cars, and there's a single switch for the uh, ignition, a single switch for the fuel pump, and you just go drive. It's when quite you, simple. Because when you drive Rubens, baby, you need about 10 people to start it, don't you? Yes, exactly. The, uh, the laptops and people on the tire warmers and a guy in the back and it, uh, somebody to orchestrate the whole thing, whereas uh, in this particular case, as long as the jump battery is plugged in and they've uh, appropriately uh, prepped the car with a squirt of gasoline in each cylinder, I can just push the black starter button and fire it up and go. Zone One Radio. I'm Stuart Hardy from Zone One Radio, and you're listening to the best of London's community radio station on Zone One Digest. And next up, get positive, jump around like you're on a sugar high. It's Who's the Boss, the motivational, inspirational, business-related fun show. And this week, they got a very special little interview with Stephen Fear, a man who made a million in business and owns over 60 companies, and who started his career inside a phone box. So over to Ian and Seppi to hear more from Stephen Fear. Welcome back on Who's the Boss? You are back in that lovely segment where each week we interview a very special guest talking about their experiences of running a business. This week we have Stephen Fear, who started at the age of 15 from a, believe it or not, a phone box at the end of his street. Now he's involved in almost all sectors of business and Stephen also helps businesses at the Business and IP Centre as their entrepreneur in residence. 
Here's Ian speaking with Stephen about his experiences. We're over at the British Library and I'm here with the phone box millionaire, Mr. Stephen Fig. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning. How are you this morning? I'm very well, thank you. Fantastic. Now, I've got to, I've found out some incredibly interesting facts about you. You uh, own or involved in over 64 companies which span almost all the sectors. What is it about those 64 companies that you, that attract you to get involved in or, or start up? Okay, yeah, well, um, effectively all of our businesses, really what we have, it, you generally between 60 and 70 projects and these projects are quite often individual businesses so it's not necessarily 64 companies Mm -hmm. we may have 30 or 40 companies owning 60 or 70 or even more projects i see um so that's really the way the way it works and uh, what attracted me uh to all of them is interest uh we rarely get involved in anything where we don't have an interest Um, so for us, it isn't just about whether there's a good commercial angle to it. It's also whether it's intellectually stimulating to a certain extent. Why is that? Because a lot of people are attracted to money, and that is stimulation enough. Uh, would you suggest that, actually, if you're looking to start or get involved in a business, make sure you're passionate about it? Yeah, so I don't think money is enough, uh, Ian. I think, uh, I think the problem that uh, a lot of people have, the big problem with only being driven by money is there will be times, especially in a new entrepreneur's life, in a new business, in the life of a, of a new enterprise, uh, when that uh, isn't enough because you're tired, you went out last night, and, uh, I don't know, things you're depressed about something or other, and you yeah. don't really want to go to work. If you're just doing it for money, you may just take the morning off, you may take the day off or the week off. If you're passionate about it, you get up with still got that passion, you want to go in. So for me, longevity of a business is primarily about passion as well as money. Sure, sure. Fair enough. Now, one of the key skills that's been highlighted to me is the ability that you have to spot emerging trends. What do you think that business owners of 2012 should be doing? What what emerging trends are appearing now? Okay, well, what we do, um, partly by looking for emerging trends, um, are things, um, it can be anything really, birth rates, uh, mortality rates, you know, if, someone, if someone's looking to supply baby products, it's a good yeah. idea to know how many babies <laughs> are being born. Um, but and what trends so there might be a lot of babies being born in one certain area one certain country maybe I mean Brazil's got a birth rate of 18.7% um, so a lot of babies uh, China has uh, doesn't have as many babies per head of the population but they do have a lot of babies by the size of the population sure. um, and Chinese uh, the Chinese like to buy um, products, quality products branded products that are English or British. So uh, there's no reason why British entrepreneurs shouldn't think about exporting to China. Great. Um, Sorry, go on. Sorry, no. We've spoken about exporting and and selling abroad. So, you know, you're saying that's a a good opportunity and anyone can get involved in that. Yeah, I think it it is a good opportunity. I think uh, central government uh, need to think about how how they can back people and try to help people. There is quite a lot of advice out there. We give a lot of advice through the British Library. People can go onto the British Library website and... uh, and have a look at the business and IP centre, and uh, but there is a lot of free advice. Uh, a lot, you know, a lot of people in London, particularly, will know, of course, that the British Library, you know, is sure. a special place for this. Um, lastly, Stephen, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, well, it's probably better to look at our website first, um, which is feargroup.com. 
um, if they just put feargroup.com into the net um, they'll get all the details and the contact details of how to get hold of me are on there super thank you very much Stephen not at all nice to and that was Ian speaking with Stephen Fear. You can find more about Stephen on our blog at whostheboss.fm. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Zone One Digest, the best of Zone One Radio. And sadly, we're coming to the end of this edition, and predictably, we just have to include some of the very sexy food show in good taste, talking about the not so sexy topic of Thanksgiving with the Whole Foods Market in Kensington. Thanks for listening, and make sure to keep glued to all the other great shows on zone1radio.com. And now, time for the sexy, sexy sounds of In Good Taste. Uh, I'm Linda Katz. We're here at the Whole Foods Market in Kensington on Kensington High Street, and we're getting ready for Thanksgiving this week. We're standing in front of our case with our turkeys, our free-range turkeys from Bramble Farm, which is located in Surrey. He's a partner that we've had for a few years. Very popular, fresh turkey. You can tell it's getting a little busy in the store. Customers are getting ready to prepare for their their holiday meal this week. And how important is the turkey in the Thanksgiving dinner? It's crucial. It's crucial, (laughs) as my mom would tell you. (laughs) If you don't have a moist turkey, everyone will be talking about it. So we've got a lot of um, brining kits available this year. We're doing pre-brined turkeys as well, which really gives you a moist turkey. It's great. Is Thanksgiving just a dinner, or is there more to that? can, Can you describe the typical American Thanksgiving? Sure. It is basically about the food and about the meal. There isn't any other sort of festivities that go with it, but it is a time where families come together. They actually spend pretty much the entire day cooking and eating and watching American football. (laughs) So yeah, it is all about sharing the meal. It goes back to when the pilgrims first came over and they suffered their first tough winter and made it through the very first harvest and were able to feed themselves and sat down and celebrated. So what other ingredients do you need to have a Thanksgiving dinner as well as your turkey? Well, we've tried to capture all the basics. Everybody likes the the ingredients and the recipes that their families and their grandmothers used to make. So stuffing is key. Mashed potatoes and gravy are essential. Sweet potatoes, candied and with marshmallows, are important. Green bean casserole, which is a really old-fashioned staple favorite with cream of mushroom soup and fried onions. Cornbread. And then, obviously, pumpkin and pecan pie, which is a real staple dessert. Could you show me some of the stuff that you have here? Absolutely. So it's been interesting over the last couple of years. We've had a lot of local British people who want to try the recipes. So we've got a lot of ingredients for people to make their own pies, their own pumpkin pie downstairs. For people that are working on Thanksgiving and can't do the full meal, we've got a lot of prepared foods ready for them to take. Side dishes already made, stuffing already made, gravy already made. So if you just want to throw it together at home without spending all day cooking, we've got that as well. Cranberry sauce made in the store by our chefs. Gravy made in stores. Uh, mashed sweet potatoes with pecans. Yeah, what, what are these things here? Brussels sprouts. Brussels yep. sprouts. Yeah. Wow. Cooked already just to heat up and take away. Traditional stuffing. Sliced turkey already cooked as well. And then individual meals, again. So if you're a single person living here on your own without your family, you can get a nice little full meal platter together to take home. It must be quite strange to have this and then Christmas dinner, which is quite similar as well. It is similar, but... um, You know, I think a lot of people in the U.S. tend to not do the same turkey dinner. They'll expand a little bit more. This is very much uh, Thanksgiving. Turkey stuffing, mashed potatoes. That is, everyone is eating the same thing at Thanksgiving.